Father, it's a joy to know you, to be able to relax in you. For us type A's, which there are quite a few in this room, we've realized over the years that we can't do it. And at the same time, for the type B's, they've realized that they need to do it. And so you're blending us and helping us to grow in Christ, to allow your Holy Spirit to be our leader, but we need to be your workers. May this passage help with that as it clarifies some things. May be new to some as it reviews others that are old to others. But may you bring this together to draw us closer to you, to make us more like Jesus. As we watch our world, he's coming back and it's getting very close. So thank you for this time, Father. Use it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, I'm moving closer, but it has nothing to do with you guys. When we uh, bring up the question, what does church mean to you? I don't need you to answer necessarily, but just to think in, in your own mind. What, what is the word church? I looked it up in the dictionary this week. I was actually kind of surprised. My Webster's Dictionary said nothing about it being a called out assembly. It said almost little about it being any kind of a church thing. It didn't even go back to the Greek word ecclesia, but to... Um, it went back to the old Latin and English, and it came up with this weird definition, and I was really surprised. But that is reality. That's what our world thinks today when they hear the word church. It's kind of just an organization that has lots of money, carries out charity work around the world. I don't know what else they think. It's a place we go on Sunday mornings when they get to sleep in. But it's a funny word. So we're going to try to take you back. Last week it was the Lord's Supper, today the Lord's Church, and kind of get back to basics and ask ourselves, what is this? This word does not mean a building or an organization, per se. Ecclesia, it literally means, it's the word called, and the preposition on the front means called out. So it's a called out assembly. It's like somebody would go out on the street and would announce that um, they're having a meeting, they're, they're going to be at the community building at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning. That literally is what a called out assembly was. They, they would call out to one another, it's time, let's meet. How did, how did their clocks work back then? Maybe if you had a sundial, if you were wealthy, if you weren't a slave, how'd you bring it to church? And how well would the sundial work once you got inside? Not. Make really good prop for your Bible to lay on. But, but they didn't have the same type of system. They had to kind of get an idea, okay, it's roughly that time. The, the, the sun moved every day, so week by week it would be different. And they'd have to call out to everybody and say, we're, we're meeting. And in the early church, contrary to what you see, what we're going to look at in this passage, a lot of it was in homes. So they'd have to tell them what home they were meeting in that week. And so to kind of bring this back down to earth, we're spoiled. They didn't have padded chairs. They didn't have air conditioning or heating. They didn't have a nice building with plenty of lights. You didn't walk around with your own Bible list. You would take in time to write it out, which is how Paul's letters started getting copied and copied and copied. But can you imagine bringing your scroll? What's the preacher going to be preaching on Sunday? If you didn't know, what scroll would you bring? I see all of them, yeah. It's truckload. So then you couldn't bring your sundial. You, you just didn't have room. But, but it's a whole different world when you put yourself back into this to try to grasp what's going on. 
A called out assembly was literally a family of true believers who had been born again. It ignored skin color. You notice we have a problem with that today? The church has never had a problem with that. It ignored financial status, unless you're in James, where the rich were given these special seats once in a while and were rebuked and caused them to stop. It ignored age. We have a wide variety here. Very quiet back there. That's good. It ignored backgrounds or pedigree. You don't walk around brag bragging about what level of education you've had, or I have two earned doctorates. You know, I get to sit wherever I want. I should get one of those little cards that go out on the seats that, that says those with earned doctorates. Get a special seat, right? Robin, would, you need to work on that. Except I don't have an earned doctorate, so it wouldn't be me. But, but they also looked at abilities. You would think if somebody was really a big helper in the church, and they were constantly doing things, and well, they get a special seat. That had nothing to do with any of this in this called-out assembly. And as I look back, even on my life as a child, the late 50s and the early 60s, when we went to church, they didn't have children's church. How many of you experienced that? You got to sit with mom and dad in the auditorium with the preacher and his sermon. And you prayed that the church wasn't too full so you could lay down when you got tired. <laughs> but I remember sitting up with many of them. And it's part of why at the age of seven I was able to come to Christ. Because I'd heard so much. And then in Sunday school, we did have Sunday school. The teacher shared the gospel with me about Christ's death and resurrection. I realized I was a sinner. It wasn't what I was really getting at home. My parents went to church, but I wasn't getting a lot. So others pass that on. But as a child, I remember many Sundays sitting next to my parents as a five-year-old, six-year-old listening. It wasn't bad. But today, it's forbidden. What do they do in churches today with children? They entertain them. Climbing walls, video games, arcades, whatever they want to put out there. And, and the idea is, well, the kids are just going to kind of get shuffled off while the parents go to church. You go to the early church, and the children went with their parents. They may have sat differently. The women may have been separated from the men, but they were all there. And so as you put yourself into this situation, you realize in verse 41, it's, it's a message being shared, passed on by Luke, as he collected all this information. But 41 comes right off of this revival that many want to call it today. That word is not in the Bible. But Peter had preached this message on the day of Pentecost. And how many people received Christ or came forward, as some want to say. 3,000 people. Do you think they all walked up to the front? They didn't have altar calls until Billy Sunday and some other ones came along. Jesus didn't do altar calls. We have so many things that we think are part of the church that aren't biblically. They're cultural. And they're not bad or good, necessarily some of them. But 3,000 people came to know Christ. 3,000 people were baptized. Did the preacher, the pastor do it? Probably not. He may not have been home for a couple days. Others were baptizing. Family members. The critical thing about baptism isn't who does it for you. It's your public testimony about Christ, what Christ has done in your heart. And you declare that. And it's still something we do today in the summer. <laughs> when we don't have to break the ice. We did one too early in the spring one time and almost lost somebody down the river. John got in the water. Somebody else got in the water. I don't know who the other one was. They were going to swim with them if, if the current took them. They didn't expect me to do that. I'm the preacher. 
but, but they're so much different and so much simpler. And so as you come in here, you realize what's going on after this great message and all these people become believers. He says in verse 41, he explains it. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And there were added that day 3,000 souls. Pretty straightforward. Salvation is clearly being laid out here. It's a personal decision. And I separated the two because those who had received his word, they had believed and trusted in Christ. They had accepted that, that message of salvation about his death and resurrection. And that little word, so then, in the beginning, says, consequently, after Peter exhorting them to be saved, many embraced Christ. They welcomed him with their whole heart. And so this message, or his word as it says here from Peter, was clearly understood and received. And what nationality were they that first day? They were Jewish. It's on the day of Pentecost. They've all gathered for that. Here's Peter preaching. We think, man, 3,000 people. Well, how many people do they guesstimate maybe been in Jerusalem at that time? A million? What's 3,000 3, to a million? Very small number. It, it is great, and 3,000 people were saved eternally at that point in time. But it tells you, as they, as they uh, explain this in verse 38, they repented for the forgiveness of their sins. People wrestle with that and say, oh, you've got to be baptized to get saved. That's not what that passage is teaching at all. The word repented is in the plural. The word sins is in the plural. The word your is in the plural. The word baptized is in the singular. It's not putting repentance and baptism as part of salvation. It's putting repentance, connecting it with, with the salvation. And the baptism is a public declaration of what's taking place inside. So many people grab onto this verse 38 and try to make it sound like, well, if I get baptized, I'm saved. I'm in. The water of baptism does nothing to you because it's not regarding the outside of your body. It's the inside that has to be washed by Jesus Christ. 3,000 received his word. They took it in personally, trusted Christ, and then the whole picture here is God added them that day to the church. And so as he's laying this out, it's pretty simple. The baptism is public identification with Christ. If you look it up in Vine's Expository Dictionary, baptism always carries the idea of identification. And, and the word baptizo is used to describe taking a white cloth and dipping it into a dye, say a purple dye, and when it comes out, what does it look like? Purple and wet. But it's still the same cloth. And so what baptism describes and what you'll understand that it's picking up here is they're identifying themselves publicly with Christ. The water doesn't change them. It doesn't clean them. It's simply a demonstration that they have been immersed, that they have been identified with Christ, and now they are added. Placed besides the others is literally what this word means, and, and the increase is going on, and that's God's department. It's interesting to me, was it 2,999? Was it 3,002? Why would he throw out the word 3,000? You think it was a rough number? Because a little while later, he throws out the number 5,000 were in the church. So he's giving you a ballpark. How, how, how many are in church this morning? Don't answer that question. <laughs> Did you already know? Yeah, you're not supposed to answer that question. <laughs> you have trouble figuring out how many are in this building. Can you imagine 3,000 people? And you're going to go around counting them and tell them, don't move. Or you've got to hand them a, a card. You've got to mark them with something so you know they've been counted already. He's throwing out a general idea here of the souls or the persons, the individuals who have made this decision. But they're believers now. 
and they've been added to the church universal. But in this case, they're also part of the church local because they're all right there. What home do you think they met in after that? They did not. They didn't make homes that big. Even the rich individuals who were part of the church could not put 3,000 people in. So they were scattered out in different locations. <gasps> You're not supposed to do that. I don't get to hear Preacher Joe. Well, you watch them on video, right? They play it at the house and you get to see it. Nope. They had different individuals, different apostles, different ones that were leading this church and guiding it along. And in the process here, you see their submission the, their actual salvation that took place because of verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves. There are a number of imperfect tenses, and I, I keep bringing that up here lately. They're not common. But they are in this passage again, because what he's trying to bring out with the imperfect is this prolonged action in past time. This ongoing activity is what he's describing. This wasn't a one-day experience. This happened today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day. This is how they were living their lives. You ever been around a new believer who you know genuinely came to Christ? And they're just changed. They're radically changed. And they can't get enough. They knock on your door at 6 o'clock in the morning. Want to know if you're up yet? May I eat breakfast with you? I've got some questions. I want to know some things. Can I hang out with you today? I want to see how you live life and what you do on a regular basis. They show up at Bible studies. They show up at prayer meetings. They show up at Sunday school. They show up at church. They show up in the evening. They ask, how come you don't have more stuff for me to come to? How long does that last? Hopefully more than six months, but that's probably the reality of it. And so, as was mentioned this week, some have left their first love. You can't leave your salvation, but you can leave that relationship, the thing that used to motivate you when you got up. Last night, again, I don't know why, because I didn't really have a decent nap at all yesterday, but I kept waking up last night. But every time I wake up, the first thing that comes to my mind is, it's an opportunity to pray. And the first person I pray for here lately is John, who's sleeping right now because he was working last night. It's a dangerous job. It puts pressure on a father. Depends what stories he told me the night before as to how I pray. But it's, it's an opportunity to interact with God and to approach him not just as a kind of a, a vending machine. I guess I'd have to use it like that. Where I put in the right card, it's Jack, I'm saved, you owe me. And then we start punching numbers and expect him to give stuff back. God doesn't work like that. He's not a rabbit's foot either where you can, you can go to him in prayer and kind of rub and, and think, well, he's got to bless me. I, I, this is my lucky day. But a lot of us live that way. Or worse yet, the thing we do is we don't talk to him at all until there is an emergency. Uh-oh. Foxhole. Bombs are flying. I need help. And that's fine, but that's not how it's supposed to work. Because the first thing God says to me when I do that, having not talked to him for a while, is, who are you? And why are you bothering me? Not really. God doesn't really talk like that, but I feel that way. I kind of have to make up and, and get, get back together. But here they were continually, this, this is a prolonged action in past time, continually devoting themselves, intensely involved in these activities, persisted in adherence to something. They attended to it constantly. That's pretty interesting. 
I remember those days when I really started growing in Christ. Saved earlier, church split, finally got back, started seeing what God really wanted me to do, and I couldn't get enough. I remember showing up one night in my white clothes. You had to wear white clothes, which makes no sense, to work in the convalescent home kitchen washing dishes. You know what you look like when you got done? Not white anymore. But there was a group that came to our church that night, and I had to work, and finally I stopped working because they kept making me work on Sundays. And I, I got over there, and I had these, this outfit on soaking wet. I took the hat off you're supposed to wear. Keep your hair out of the dishes, I guess, or something. And I didn't even want to go into the auditorium because I looked so bad. Didn't smell too good either. So I went in the back room, right by where the choir was. It was a choir from Multnomah. And it actually, Multnomah Bible College was where I wanted to go. And so I wanted to hear them. And I caught half of their concert, and that was it for me. But I remember sitting in the back, wet, stinky, just drinking it in. And then went off to get more and more. Never to be a preacher. I keep telling you that. Some of you think, I'll never be a preacher. Don't tell God that. He changes that. But he pulls in the church, he adds people, and he's not just adding bodies and kind of saying, okay, one, two, three. He's adding individuals that are unique to the fellowship, that are going to bring in different aspects to serve one another. If you're not serving in Cascade Bible Church, you're out of the will of God. Is that clear enough? Is that not, I didn't do an angry face, did I? If you're not serving... At Cascade Bible, you need to be involved. It's, it's part of how you grow in Christ. Not what? No, visitors have to go back to their churches and serve. Unless you're making this church your home and you've got a week. We, we give you a week vacation, and then you're in. But it's what a church is. It's a family of believers that come together, and they work as a family. They suffer as a family. They rejoice as a family. They minister to needs of a little girl that just turned one. They don't even go to our church. They did a while back. They moved. They're now going to a church out in Christmas Valley area, and now they're going to go find another one. You can pray for them as they try to locate a church that would be appropriate. But we serve, and people, funds go, and it's, it's like a family. When you see needs, you help one another. You serve. You clean up messes when the oats went all over the floor this week. You get a broom and you clean it up. And if you're really hungry, you shake the dirt off and put it back in the oatmeal container. We were trained not to waste. What you can't see, anyway. But, but they're, they're continually devoting themselves. And look what he lays out here. This is the crux of what they were doing. These are brand new believers. They may have only been in for a matter of days or weeks, depending upon how long this goes here. But they are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. I'm glad that's number one. Proper instruction. The word here is just the word we use for doctrine, but it's correct doctrine. Doctrine's a big church word that gets scary. All doctrine means is teaching God's word correctly. But they were devoted to it. Notice it's the apostles' teaching. Who, else, who wasn't teaching at that point? Everybody else. Why not? Because they're all brand new believers. Don't do that to someone. Well, they're a great speaker. They're a politician. Sorry, Bernie. Hate to bring that up. But, man, they're used to crowds. They're, they can really talk well. Give them a little bit of information. Get them up in front of the church. Don't do that to people. 
Worst thing you can do. God didn't even do that with the Apostle Paul when you go to Galatians. He's, he took 17 years to get Paul ready to do what he was going to do. He was an apostle. I mean, um, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. His father was a Pharisee. Surely he knew something about the Bible. 17 years. Part of that was undoing what he had been taught wrong. A lot of that was the church learning to trust him because he had put some of them to death at least cooperated in making sure that happened, locking up many of them. But it's the apostles that are taking the role of teaching. How well equipped were they? How long after Christ's death, resurrection, time, 40 days on earth, and then his ascension, how long after that is this? Not very long. And yet the 12 who had walked with him for three years and they just all laid down their lives for him and suffered in every way they could, didn't they? How'd they do at the crucifixion? bunch of cowards. His mother was there. You expect that. And John was there, which is interesting. But they had denied him, as in Peter's case. They had fled from him, as in uh, Mark's case. But, but as they look at the situation, it's those men that God has now turned over to teach because they had been discipled. They had been learned for three years with Christ and with God himself. You figure they must have learn something but the whole key was the holy spirit coming into their lives in acts 2 there the beginning part the day of pentecost that's what made all the difference so if we walk by the spirit as believers god is able to work through us but we need to be in his word and so the phrase you're going to put on your tombstones is read your bible pass it on to whoever comes to visit your tombstone because that's what you're doing right Hours of time in the Word. When you're a new believer, when I first uh, was growing in Christ, I couldn't get enough. I told you I took a Bible to school. I got harassed and picked on for having a Bible with my other books. So I covered it up with a brown paper wrapper, which we did to all of our books. It wasn't a big deal. And people stopped bothering me so much. But I remember at lunchtime, I'd go find a spot, take my, my sack lunch and my Bible and just read. That's what you're doing, right? Hungry, devoting yourselves to the apostles' teaching, which God has now put in book form beyond the apostles to give us the Old Testament as well as others who wrote. And then he says, and they were devoting themselves to the fellowship. It has a definite article in front of it. This is a unique partnership that they had. It's a sharing in common. It's voluntary. It's selfless. A lot of people today want you to think that this was like a commune. It was not. A commune means you, you, you give up everything. You own nothing. You don't own land. This is where America is trying to head today. Communism. Socialism. Where you have no rights. And when you get into that system, there's, there's always the elite at the top, and they have all the rights. But nobody sees that because they think it's not happening until they've lost power and control, and they've yielded up everything. Then they dominate. This is not a commune. As you go down through here, you realize, where were they meeting? In houses. Whose houses were they? They weren't the church's houses. They were the people's houses. And you're going to kind of go through the book of Acts. You'll see more of that. But this fellowship took place in these homes as they voluntarily shared with one another, selflessly met each other's needs. And two of them he brings out here that go along with this fellowship is the breaking of bread, this could be the Lord's Supper. It could refer to that, but it also could be 
meal, just general meals. How hard is it for you to have somebody over to your house? Why don't we do it? What are the typical excuses? You would never use these, but you've heard them, and you know they're out there. What are typical excuses for not having somebody over? I'm too busy. I'm not a good cook. What was that? Oh, okay, you're claiming that one, all right. It, my house is a mess. How long does it take for people to accept that? Five seconds. Now, if they sit down and they won't eat dinner, they have a bigger problem because your house is a mess. But when you bless the meal, doesn't that kill everything that shouldn't be there? What are some of the reasons we don't have people over? Give me the, more, the deeper reason behind those things. I am being selfish. I am, and what? I am proud, so I don't want to be humiliated. I am fearful of what may come up. You don't have the preacher over, that's for sure. He may ask Bible questions. I'm not a who? I don't like to socialize. I'm a very private person. What do you think Jesus was? What did he often do? He went off by himself to pray. Why would he do that? You, you talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're only going to have 33 years on earth. You only left the last three or so to really make disciples, and you want to do what? You want to escape them? You, you want to use some of that time just for yourself? What did he say about his relationship with God? It was more important than people. Is that what you say? Is that why you don't have them over? Because my relationship with God is more important than people? Or it's because I'm stingy? Come on, give me a couple more. I know they're out there. I'm not sure about you, so I don't know if I can trust you coming into my house. So i got to lock everything up before you come in. And worse yet, you may have children. Children break things. Children make lots of noise. You may have COVID. We won't get into that one. You don't want to get me started on that one. But, but we start looking at this. It's like, folks, look at the church did. They were in this fellowship where they broke bread together. And when he's talking about what's happening here, again, they were, the first part of this, verse 42, is an imperfect, it's prolonged action. They were almost like I put the word out there, constantly devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They couldn't get enough. Constantly devoting themselves to the fellowship. Constantly devoting themselves to breaking bread together. It always bothers me because culturally our society at Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, you know, you, you want to make sure people are covered. Well, when I find out after those events that somebody went home alone and didn't have, wasn't invited over, wasn't checked on, wasn't encouraged, hey, come eat with us. We've had people over and say, what are you having? They didn't ask that, but we'd let them know we're having toasted cheese sandwiches. Really takes a lot of effort. You can toast your own. We have a variety of cheeses. We have a variety of breads. You will be satisfied. Pickles, onion if you want it. Don't stay long afterward. <laughs> Tomatoes, mayonnaise, mustard. How many of you put everything on it? I knew it. All five of us take it all. 
When you get pizza, how many put anchovies on it? All right, right. Fellow brothers and sisters in food. But, but it's, the reality here is we aren't going to be the same. We are going to be different. And when I have somebody over and I find out things like they can't eat, what do I do the next time? Fix it. None of us are poor here. Some of you may feel like that. Some of you may think your husband or your wife is spending everything. But that's what marriage is all about. It's sharing together. It's similar to the church. But here they were doing this prolonged activity. They loved getting together as a body of Christ. And it wasn't the whole assembly because there were too many of them. It was pockets of this fellowship that would meet up together. It's work. But it isn't work if you make it simple. What do you do on Friday nights, Dana? What do you eat? Baked potato. How many know how to cook a baked potato? You're in. Now you find out ahead of time, asking what kind of toppings you like to put in your baked potato. And they give you a list. You're in. How hard is that? That's what the church did. Do you know what they ate? They weren't eating gourmet food. They were eating very basic. And yet they shared it with each other. As you look at this, and I mentioned how their backgrounds, their pedigree, their financial status, many of these were slaves. Sometimes you'll see that with, with Tychicus falling out the window. There were times they could only meet at night because the slave had to get all their chores done until they were free to do something on their own. And they'd finally show up. What do you think they brought to the meal? Yeah, maybe beans and rice if they had such a thing. They came from different locations. Maybe it was barley or wheat, but it would be something they'd bring along. We, we got this grandiose idea of what the church is, and yet when you come in here, you find out how simple it really was. It wasn't the food. It wasn't the house. It wasn't the clothing you wore or getting the right people over because it was going to move me up the social ladder. It was loving people, all people. And it was helping them come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior if they didn't already know him or enjoying the relationship if they did and growing in that and finding out, oh, I, I didn't know that or here I teach you something or whatever way that they could pass on and to take the time to write out the scriptures and eventually be able to bring that along. This was a lot of work, a lot more work than we face today. But the last thing they were devoted to was the prayers. Again, a definite article. They were really talking to God. They were bringing up needs. They were interacting with um, gratitude and praise and thanksgiving. They were confessing sin. I appreciate that about Sunday school this morning. Jim asked a question, and a number of people were very honest about where they were at. Very helpful. You think you're humbling yourself. Instead, the other sitting around going, how did they do that? How could they ever be that honest and be that comfortable being real? They look up to it. They don't look down on it. That's what's exciting about new believers when you talk to them. They tell you everything, more than I ever wanted to know. Details about what their life was like before. It's okay. Let's, let's see what we can do to change some of that to what Christ wants to do now. But they still want to share and interact. Here they took these, in, these needs to God, the supplication, looking for his grace. And so when you go back and ask about this, again, you ask yourself, 
How important was entertainment? We've had people actually leave this church over the years because the music was too loud, too boring, too old-fashioned, too contemporary. You get all kinds of things. Show me where the music is here. I've only gone two verses so far. Where's the music? It isn't here. It's not that they didn't do it. They, they sang a hymn and went out from communion when Christ celebrated the Lord's Supper. Music was part of their lives, but you don't see it being brought out as a big deal here. Why not? Because Brian couldn't be at 15 different home church gatherings. Maybe you didn't have it, hardly anybody that could even play an instrument. But if they did, like me learning the guitar in college, you did the best you could. But when you can only play every other chord... Other college students got a little frustrated. Tring, tring, I'm trying to get my fingers on there right. I gave up playing guitar because I listened to the wrong people. I could be a concert guitarist today. I've lost my place in life. But here's this relationship. It's around the spiritual. It's not around the physical. They met each other's physical needs, but they were secondary to what the church was all about. I only get one crack of this, so that's why you're, you're getting this appeal and clarification. So you understand what you're entering into, what God wants us to be. And so once the focus was set here, and, and the importance was not on entertainment or the facilities, the building, impressing people. Once they got past that, verse 43 says, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. That's what we have every Sunday, right? Ah. It what? And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Guess where those signs and wonders went? They died with the apostles. Everybody's looking for this, this um, kind of like a fireworks show on the 4th of July. You're looking for this ooh and ah, on, and they come to church, and if I don't feel the right way after church, whose fault is it? The preacher's. I always want to blame Brian, but it's usually the preacher, and then it's the musician, and then it's somebody that didn't talk to you right or didn't look at you right or didn't want to sit by you. There are all kinds of things that we get offended about because we go to church for ourselves instead of recognizing that they went to church for what God wanted them to do. It, it takes all the pressure away. It brings all the joy back into what God wants it to be. Get your eyes off of people and put your eyes on Jesus Christ. So this, this feeling of awe, literally the word here is phobos. It's, it's the word fear. They kept feeling a sense of fear. Fear of what? Where, why, what were they reverentially looking at? And it was a supernatural involvement on the part of God. God's fingerprints were all over everything that was going on. Very unique time. Beginning of the church, he establishes it even though it's very, very small in relation to the culture. We, we worked out a thing, Jim and I one time, we analyzed how many people live in the Lapine area and how many people come to church here. And then we looked at John MacArthur's church down in Santa Clarita, wherever, no, it's not there, it's the next place over, but we looked at how many people lived around there and how many people came to church and we realized we have a higher percentage of Lapinians in church than he does. That gives us something to brag about, right? We, we should put that on a little cards that we hand out. And we're the going place. 
L.A. Pine. But as you're looking at this, the reality was this feeling, a sense of awe, was because of God. And the many wonders and signs were taking place was through God's apostles that he had set up to carry that out. And so as you look at this, there are no exceptions. It's everyone. Everyone thinks God is amazing. Everyone has their focus on God, not people, not self, not on fears per se, but this constant happening. They kept feeling, imperfect tense, this sense of awe, this reverence of God's supernatural involvement in their lives. How do you get that today? If we don't have Jesus Christ working those miracles, which had a purpose, and he left, he stopped working them. The, the apostles followed him. They copied him in all five ways. Everything that Jesus had done, they repeated even broader than he had done because there were 12 of them. How do you see God today? Hmm. Are we quiet because of my question or are we just quiet? People are looking for that. A lot of churches want this supernatural involvement and if it isn't there, your church is dead. How do you see the supernatural at Cascade Bible Church? Come on, stick your necks out. That's how you learn. Answered prayer, all right? And then often we want to say, oh, that was just a coincidence. Well, then you didn't pray specifically enough to make sure that when it was answered that you understood where it was coming from, Dave. Okay, you can see God in the general revelation, and that's true. I'm looking for more of the special revelation that was in the first century, and it happens today when someone becomes a believer. The exact same thing that was happening on the day of Pentecost. When you share the gospel with someone, and they receive Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior, have you ever seen that? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're not out there doing what God has commanded you to do. But if you've seen someone come to Christ... It is supernatural. It is astounding. It causes a sense of fear and kind of almost goosebumps to see God take a life from a walk of sin and set them free, justify them. When we sing this morning a number of times, every time the word righteousness shows up, I think it's one of my favorite words. It's not about you. Righteousness comes as God declares us just or righteous. It's a gift from God that makes you righteous. We had up here for a while, righteousness exalts a nation. That's God working through individuals that have submitted themselves to him. Where he has the freedom to show himself through your life. Where you don't do things that everybody else does. And it's not your power that accomplishes that. There's another area that would stand out. When you say no to sin and yes to righteousness, the world marvels. First they get mad or they get embarrassed because you won't go along with them. Then they get convicted, and then they have a decision to make. Either they're going to join you, or they're going to reject Christ. But it's supernatural. It, it's what God wants to do on a regular basis. How often was he doing it here? As you go down a little further, because you all read ahead with me, right? The Lord was adding to their number day by day. What, did that, what does that mean that 3,000 people were doing? They were sharing what Christ had done in them. These are Jews. You think they had pride? You think they're bucking the system of what was going on around them? They're, Jesus Christ had just been crucified by those same people. It wasn't the Romans that pursued getting him on the cross. It was the Jews. 
crucify him, crucify him, came out of the mouths of the Jews. So when you make this decision, it's supernatural because of what takes place on the inside, but it's also supernatural because what happens on the outside is they're now saying, yes, I will die for Christ. I will carry my cross, as we talked about in Sunday school. I will put him first to anything else and everything else in my life. That's what's exciting about it. It isn't the preacher's job. I'm not even very good at it. I'm too type A, black and white, cold, you're in or you're out. Make up your mind. I don't try to do that. I love sharing, especially on a confined space like an airplane where they're stuck and they can't get away from you. A full airplane where there's no other seats for them to move to. But they let you know if they don't want to talk to you, because it used to be, now it's changed, but they used to put their earbuds in and, or, or roll over and go to sleep. And they weren't sleeping, I could tell. <laughs> but sometimes they would listen. Sometimes they would interact. Sometimes you'd have a Bible study. And then that one time I shared with you, we were at the bulkhead. I love riding in the bulkhead. Noisy, last person off the plane. Sometimes special treats from the stewardesses if they're nice to you. But we're sitting there, and two rows up, this guy gets up when the plane stops because everybody can't go anywhere, and he immediately comes back before anybody else gets out of their seats, and he starts talking to this woman that I was talking to, and then he starts asking me questions about what I'd been sharing with her for the last hour. You never know who's listening. That's where the supernatural comes in. That's where it's exciting. You go, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, then start. Because if you told me I don't know how to ride a bike, what would I tell you to do? Stay away from bikes. Go do it. It's not you. It's God who's reaching out to people. You're just a messenger. Just tell them what God did in your life with Christ's death and resurrection. That's it. Pretty simple. But that, that can't work. That's the only way it works. It's not your impressive ability. It's not your finances. It's not all the things we talked about that too many churches are made out of. It's not your ability to speak. Remember who tried that? Moses. What did it get him after five or six times when they told God no? His brother took over. That was a great idea, especially when you got to the, the golden calf, one of his best. I just gathered the gold up and threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Aaron, you're going to be the high priest. You've got to learn to stop lying. You see who God has worked with through history? No different than any of us. No more impressive, and we're not impressive with God. He knows all about us. He knows what our house looks like. He knows what you're going to serve for a meal if he were to show up. That's not what it's about. It's about knowing Christ and being set free in him and enjoying him. And so this is what's going on in the church in that first century. They're feeling this sense of awe. They kept feeling it in perfect tense. And many, not a few, many a large number frequently happening by all 12 apostles were these wonders. Wonders here, you could easily translate miracles, but, it, but wonders appeal to the imagination. They draw attention for you to recognize the power that's behind it. When he gets to signs, signs are markers. They appeal to the understanding. They, they don't give power so much as they give proof. They confirm the direction. So they were marveling and distinguishing here uh, that these works were done through the apostles and they were taking place in other imperfect tense. This was a normal occurrence. Let's go to church Sunday and go find somebody to get healed. 
And we're not talking about low back pain and migraine headaches. We're talking about people who had been cripples for 40 years, who were begging at the temple. Guess where you see one of those? Acts 3. Guess who performed it? One of the apostles. It's not for everybody. God is not working it that way. He was settling or um, setting up the church and establishing his authority, his power, and they were to recognize that. Am I being overwhelming now? Those were exciting days. Guess when they're going to come back? When Christ returns. Somebody mentioned earlier about what it's going to be like with Christ. Do you understand that you are going to, and I am going to, be learning for all eternity? See, we, we got God in this little box. That, yeah, we, we get, you know, like Jim's class, he stretched it out to a couple more years than normal. But, but, it, um, but he likes that, and everybody likes that, and they're taking their time. But you're thinking, well, man, after, what, a thousand years in, in the New Jerusalem? going to get kind of boring. If you really think that way, you don't really understand God. The one who knows everything, you never will know everything. The one who is all-powerful, we're little pipsqueak wimps. The one who is everywhere present, so he sees all things going on at all times. The one who is outside of time, you don't have to tell him what's going to happen in five minutes. He's already been there. How does he lower himself? How does he work with us puny little human beings? Why does he do it? That's all it comes down to. His decision to love. He's not impressed with our financial status. He's not impressed with our food. He's not impressed with our abilities. Not impressed with our homes or what car you drive. A lot of that only gets in the way. He loves us. It's sinners that Christ died for to redeem us and to justify us, to make us righteous. And this is what he's doing with the early church. And it's amazing to see what's taking place here. But many wonders, many signs were constantly taking place through the apostles. It was not a random thing. It was not even unique. But it authenticated who they were because then it went from 3,000 to 5,000. They guess there may have been, and it's only a guess because the scriptures don't record it, as many as 50,000 believers in Jerusalem before God finally said, Look it, I told you to go. You're not listening. And he came in and he scattered them. You will obey. You will submit to his will. You will teach the Bible someday in your home as a Bible study leader with a group of women or a group of men or maybe some children with a backyard Bible club. You will do those things if God wants you to. We're afraid. What are we afraid of? God's not limited. We're afraid of, what are those things you just listed a few minutes ago? Being embarrassed, failure, change. Somebody might come to Christ and I'm going, no, what do I do with them? It's just like new parents. You ever seen the first time parents have a little child? I used to visit them in the hospital. That was a fun thing to do. And it's almost like they, they would, the nurse would hand the baby over and they'd almost look at it like, now what? And it makes funny noises. And it dirties things. And you got to keep an eye on them. You got to feed them regularly. You got to figure out when they're crying because they're hungry, when they're crying because the diaper pin stuck them. That's 30, 40 years ago. Whatever else, or the diaper's too tight, or whatever it may be. You're learning. Guess how long you learn? Not just 15, 20 years when you think, oh, they're finally grown up. You learn it for the rest of your life. You never stop being a parent. 
You stop checking their diaper, maybe, hopefully. But there's all kinds of things to learn and to do. And we get into the church and we think, well, give me 20 years and then I'll be ready to teach. I'll give you 20 years, you'll be dead. You'll be useless. Look at me. God wants you now, and he wants you to be involved in his church. He wants you to do the things, little tasks. He'll give you little things to start with. Share the gospel. If your answer to that is, I don't know how, then ask one of us and we'll teach you. Then once you know how, what's your next excuse going to be? I don't have all the answers. Do you know somebody who does besides God? I don't. I regularly tell people that I'm witnessing to if I get that opportunity, I'll have to look that up. That's a good question. I don't know. They don't get bent out of shape. They don't expect me to know everything. We do. We get bent out of shape. We need to make a difference. You're watching your world crumble. You're watching the oppression that's going to come in like a a tsunami. And what are we waiting for? Till we're all drowning? Or we're all in jail? You better witness there too. Paul's favorite place. Check that out first thing when he got to a town. We need to stop being afraid. We need to start getting serious about our walk with Christ. That's how you grow. Some people tell me, well, I'm not really growing. Okay, I'm going to, you know, if you were telling me you didn't know how to swim, I'd pick you up and throw you in the, in the lake. Guess what you're going to start doing? Swimming. That's what they did to me. I can tell you the first time I prayed out loud, the first time I sang a duet, the first time I sang a solo, the first time I preached a sermon, and the first times of lots of things, and they're all vivid in my mind because it scared me to death. Where I was, what, what room I was in, who I was around, it's all staring at me. But that's the only way you learn how to ride a bike. Okay, enough preaching. Let me get back to the passage here. Or enough meddling, maybe I should say. As he goes in here, this reverence that they had was clear, and it came from God. Then there's this reciprocity reciprocity where they are working together in verse 44. All those who had believed were together. This relationship through Christ. And again, look who was there. Races, finances, slave and free. All of them were together. That in itself would have blown the city of Jerusalem away. What is going on down there? But it's God making this happen. And again, in perfect tense, had all things in common. Consistently, perpetually, they had all things in common. Oh, there's your commune again. That's not what it's talking about. The idea of in common here brings out the idea of fellowship, where they're working together. So look what they do in verse 45. They began selling their property and possessions. Who owned it? Ultimately, God did, but who owned it at that point? God's not selling it. They are. And when you go over to chapter 4, we went to 3 for a miracle. You go to chapter 4, and here's Barnabas giving up a piece of land. Here's um, Aquila and Priscilla, if I get the name. Am I using the wrong one? I just went blank. Ananias and Sapphira, I knew I was saying the wrong one. And and they try that trick. Oh, we'll sell the land. We'll keep a little bit back. We'll tell them we we gave it all away. And God says, nope, that doesn't work like that. And they drop dead. Don't lie to God. But as he's going through here, they had property, they had possessions, they never became a commune where they signed everything over. It wasn't a Jim Jones outfit here. When you go to property, this is talking about real property, real estate. 
land, houses, vineyards, those kind of fixed things. Well, they sold that so they could liquidate it and make it useful. They also were using their possessions, disposable property, food, clothing, jewelry, and on where they could actually literally hand it out to somebody. Here, take this and, and take care of your need. But they were responding. It's just like we're doing with uh, Mariah. When a need comes up, you're not selling everything you own and giving it to them. That, that wouldn't be good for them or for you. But you have more than enough, and you take what you have and you pass it on. That's what the early church was doing. It, it was normal and a part of the process. But they began selling in perfect tense. It was a continual thing that kept going on and on and on in the life of the church. And they were sharing in perfect tense. I'm sorry, it just keeps showing up. They're sharing them with all as any might have need. And this is another thing. It's not a commune. They're literally looking for opportunities to meet needs, necessities, serious wants that were ongoing because of the imperfect tense. It was a gap in their life, some kind of lack, some kind of requirement that was missing for them. And you would help meet that. That's exciting. That's what the world doesn't do, if you haven't noticed. Have you seen what COVID has done? It has revealed the attitudes and the hearts of mankind. Try reaching over when you're at, in line at the counter, and you, do, you don't want to take too long, so you reach up there and you grab a package of gum, and the person is now within a foot or two, and they notice you. What happens? Cooties! Unclean! What are they afraid of? dying. They're not ready to die. You need to respect that and help them to understand how they can have peace, how they can have true joy, how they can have eternal life and be able to relax. Maybe not while you're reaching over. So you got to be sensitive. You may have to ask them, may I, may I come within six feet of you with my mask on? But, but you're seeing it brought out. People are becoming very, very selfish. That's going to grow. That's going to get worse and worse and worse in our society. Store owners are afraid of what's happening because you're going to ruin their business if you don't cooperate. You may say, well, I'm not afraid of COVID. You, don't, you go in the store without a mask. I walked into one the other day. Um, I was pretty far into the store before I realized, whoop, I didn't put my mask on. None of the Gestapo caught me. <laughs> and I put my mask on. But I don't wear a mask for COVID. And that's another thing that I don't want to get off into. But, but it's a, a lie of the devil. It's a, it's a work that's going on in our world to suppress people and to alienate people. That's the opposite of what was going on in the early church. When disease came in, they rushed to help. They didn't rush to figure out how to protect themselves. Aren't you ready to die? Aren't you excited about coming into, coming into the presence of Jesus Christ when he says it's time? I'm not encouraging you to speed that along in any way. It's what a believer does. I'm only here till he's done. When he tells me, okay, you're done, I'm out. Snatch me up. And I just use that phrase, that biblical phrase, beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> There's a Scotty up there, one of those angels named Scotty. But here they are working together in this whole process. They're selling, they're sharing with those that have need. And 46, day by day, continuing, continuing, they're devoted. There's that word again found earlier. With one mind, this unanimous uh, relationship, uh, working together in the temple. Why the temple? What was the temple in that day? It was part of the law. It was part of the Jews. It was part of their culture. It's what they did. They didn't alienate. They didn't say, oh, I'm a Christian now. I don't go into that unclean place. 
Why would they go there? Why did Jesus go look for opportunities to get into a synagogue or Paul or Peter or whoever it may have been? Why did they want to do that? Because then they could stand up and they could read from the scroll. They could pick where they wanted to read from, which is what Jesus did in one situation. And then sit down and then you're supposed to explain that. You're supposed to take some moments to help people understand what, it's, what it means. You're all ready to do that, right? There are churches that do that. They allow for individuals, sometimes just men, but to share from the scripture. Well, this is more the flavor of the early church. They're continuing with one mind in their normal pattern of life, involving the temple, all that was required in the law for the Jews to do with the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. How do they still have houses as if it's a commune? Because it's not a commune. They may have been sharing extra properties or whatever they had, or they moved in with their relatives. But they were taking their meals together, imperfect tense. This is an ongoing activity where they're sharing their food, and they're doing it with gladness. That's what happens in your home, right? That's what's going to happen because some of you are going to go, look it, we've got to open up. Toasted cheese sandwich, here we come. We're going to get somebody over. You want to get to know somebody? Get into their home. I have backed off on that in recent years. A lot of it in my health, I'm, I'm sleeping a lot in the afternoon. But when, that was one of the best things I ever did. And I always knew it took about an hour to go visit somebody. Sometimes longer if they wanted to do a Bible study or something like that. There's some of you I haven't gotten into your homes and I feel guilty. That wasn't normal for me. So some of you need to fill in for me. Go visit. Call somebody up. This is how the women, the older women are teaching the younger women. How do you think they got together? The older women said, hey, can I help you in any way? But you like, I find out you like crafts, you like sewing, you like quilting. Said, I'd love to get together and, and do some of that if you'd like. What's the younger woman respond like? Are they afraid? Are they eager? What if that brand new baby, one of the women, older women in the church said, hey, I had six, 12, 15. I know what I'm doing. I got past the fear stage when you, every single little noise they made when you first brought them home from the hospital, you thought they were dying. And you had to get up and check on them. And you didn't sleep very good for a few days. Then you get to the stage where finally you tell them, I don't care if you die or not. I'm not going to get up for you tonight. <laughs> and especially when there's a second one and a third one and a fourth one and a fifth one and a sixth one and whatever number we may go up to. And so you are learning to lay down your life in an appropriate way, but not to worry because ultimately they're God's. Man, I, need more, I always need more time. But here's this relationship, this gladness that they had was, was clear as far as what was taking place. This extreme joy. And then the sincerity of the heart. They were real. They weren't phony. They didn't clean up their house just because you're coming over for dinner. They left it messy sometimes. You ever seen my desk? Either desk. You see my garage? Then you're in a special circle of people. John is going to help me fix my garage. It's not all my fault, but, it, but, it, but I'm going, I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't care. Bev's relatives came not too long ago, and it's like they came through the garage. Yep, it is what it is. 
as I'm blocking their view, heading, heading on into the house. But, but this is a relationship they had. They could relax. They could be real because it was family. They all know each other. You don't need to put on a front or a show for me. And then this closing part here in verse 47, they go from this reverence to the reciprocity to reconciliation where they're just being brought together and it's God that's bringing them together as one, sharing their lives, and then you ultimately you see this fruit. They're praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'm not responsible to make Christians. I'm responsible to present the gospel. God takes it from there. Now, I'm responsible to not get in the way. I shouldn't have sin in my life or be some kind of hypocrite where people are going, well, I don't want anything to do with that. But, but here they are. As they gather together, they're praising God. This word carries the idea of celebrating God. They can't get over what he's done for them. It is amazing in their lives. Some of us do it demonstrably. I, I never thought I would. I, I see pictures of me, and every time I see a picture of me, my hands are up like this. And I'm going, when did I start doing that? I was always like this. I don't raise my hands when I worship. It's not me. And I'm very comfortable with it. You can send cards and letters. I'll use them to start the next fire. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, 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 but be yourself. You can relax and be who you are and not worry about what everybody else is doing. Our family, our six children, Brian's finding the same thing out with his, it, they're all different. Some of them you want to strangle. Like the Romans, some of them you want to throw in the river. But when you let them grow up and they get old enough, you realize why God did what he did. The worst thing you find out is they take after you. What you're seeing and what you don't like is you. You trained them. You learned them. You discipled them. And they turn out just like you. And you're going, no, no way. Well, by that time, you've already changed. So you can... You can make excuses for it. But, but he's adding. God is adding. This is what's going on. And the other thing that stood out here, what should happen in Lapine is I close off and we leave. They were having favor with all the people. The community is noticing what's going on here. This is strange. They were winning their respect. This is a requirement for an elder in the church, having a good reputation with those who are outside the fellowship. This is what we should have. I regularly take inventory of my neighborhood. How's Steve doing? How's Randy and Kelly doing? I uh, got new people on the corner that have not waved yet, so I'm having trouble getting to know them. The guy behind me, some, something happened. I'll leave it really general. And, um, and he wanted to fix it, and I made it as minimal and as simple for him to fix it as possible because one of his children did it, not him. You are, and then they were sympathetic when we watched it happen. The world's watching. They want to see Christ in us. That only happens because you're reading your Bibles. You're taking in the truth of the doctrine of God's word, the instruction that comes from that. You're letting it sink in. You love him. You're living with him. You're walking by the spirit. And it oozes out of you everywhere you go. That's why I'm here. And when that ends, when God no longer needs that in me, he'll take me home. Tomorrow, I hope. Except for my wife's sake, maybe, maybe a week. The church was a very unique group of people, and they still are. God hasn't changed. The apostles are gone. But the greatest miracle you're going to see is somebody coming to Christ, and then the second part of that I didn't really explain is growing in Christ. When they start growing up, and you go, somebody comes up to you and asks you to forgive them for something they did to you. That is a miracle.
The world can't do that. They're screaming in there, I need to close in prayer. <laughs> Be the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you never give up. Thank you that your son is the head of our family. Thank you that you can take even our shortcomings, mistakes as well as sins. Sometimes when we fall down and get scraped up, you use that to let other people serve us and meet our needs. So we thank you for your faithfulness, for the privilege of knowing you as a simple gift that we received. We pray that if there be anyone here or anyone listening to me today that doesn't know you, that they'd realize it's a free gift. And you are eager to give it to them. Help them to ask questions and find out more. We just thank you for your perfect love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.